Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen beat Lewis Hamilton in what wasn't a spectacular Mexican Formula One Grand Prix after Mercedes' tyre strategy against Red Bull. Well, it didn't exactly pay off. Max Verstappen aced the start. And unlike last year where we saw a brilliant move down to the first corner, the longest run down to the first corner of the season, it became clear once Max was off and away that that was going to be pretty much the finishing order as we got towards the end of the race. There was some drama from... Daniel Ricciardo, check script. Absolutely, what a stunning race he had. At home, hero Sergio Perez would come home third ahead of George Russell. There were some penalties in there for Ricciardo and Gasly, uh, which did spice things up a little bit. A couple of retirements, but otherwise... Not a spectacular race on a uh, on a I say Sunday afternoon. That would have been one back in the old days that uh, that Dad would have watched, fallen asleep to, uh, woken up for the last lap and pretend that he wasn't napping at all. Uh, but I I always thoroughly enjoy watching a Formula One race wherever it may be. An evening one for us in the UK, and we sent Luke Smith and Stuart Codling to go and check things out. Good evening, gentlemen. How is your Mexican accommodation? I would describe it as highly convivial. <laughs> That's become Codders' favourite catchphrase on this trip, I think. And. 
uh, and, and actually something that we didn't mention on last week's podcast, even though I saw one of us tweet about it, is uh, one of the three of us is a newly published author with their, a new book out. Uh, Codders, you've, you've written many books over the years. Is it, is it you? It's not me. I have to say, welcome to the club, to my colleague. That would be Luke Smith, who's written the story of Porsche, a tribute to the legendary manufacturer, which I have here in front of me. Oh, you got a copy. Oh, mate. Oh. It's a very, very good book if you like things like cars. Um, oh, and I wow. Would... Oh, bless you, mate. Thank you. It's a fantastic read in terms of the story of one of the great names in automotive that has recently listed, obviously, with the, the IPO. That's a, a big deal if you're into your cars. Uh, Out of the Ashes, The Birth of a Legend, King of the Track, The Return to Le Mans, Electric Dreams. It comes right bang up to date. My friend, this is a fantastic read. I'm only halfway through, in fairness. Yeah. And, I, and I, do you know what oh. delighted me about that book was the reference to the classic uh, Phil Oakey and Giorgio Moroder, uh, Electric Dreams. You're very welcome. I started with the last chapter because I was like, oh, because I'm like, I'm into my electric stuff. As you know, yeah, I drive an yeah. electric car, uh, the same as our boss. And uh, and then I went back at the beginning and read it. So there we go. Uh, viewers, dear listeners, uh, you can't see me holding it up, but it's on Amazon and all places that you would buy books. But isn't Amazon the only one that anyone uses anymore? Um, local bookshops, local bookshops, local bookshops. Support your independent. I'm consigned to these four walls these days. So yes, if you do go out into the real world, go to a, a real bookshop. There's a Waterstones around the corner from our office in, in sunny Richmond. Uh, so you could always go to somewhere like that or your independent bookstore. Please do support If you that. live in southwest London, do visit the Q Bookshop, which is not named after Matt Q, but after the Q, uh, the, the district in southwest London, uh, owned by some friends of mine. And go buy The Story of Portia, unofficial and unauthorised. And a very handy size it is as well. Thoroughly enjoying that. Uh, let's get into the Formula One this weekend. Chaps, look, you know, not... Not a stellar one. I think a lot of hopes were were riding on a couple of things. The start, was there going to be chaos? And uh, and also the tyre strategy, which is we're in that first third of the race, you know, Max got away in the lead, but we were thinking, mm, okay, so Lewis is keeping it to one and a half, two seconds, uh, maybe a little bit more at times, but uh, towards the end of that first stint, Max's tyres were going off and we were thinking, is this going to come alive? It didn't quite. Uh, Luke, we'll, we'll start with you, because you've been on your travels, uh, Austin now, and now Mexico. Was it worth staying out for Mexico to go and uh, to, to watch this one in person? Oh, it always is. Like, I, I always, uh, it's always a pleasure covering this job, and we're very, very privileged to do this wonderful job. And yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you sometimes do get a bit homesick and things like that, but ultimately, yeah, like standing on the grid today, that was incredible. The noise everyone was making for Checo, it really just rams home just how special this sport is how many fans around the world would love to be sort of doing what we do and following this amazing uh, amazing circus all over the world. So uh, yeah, always worth staying out for. But uh, yeah, not the most lively race, as you say. I think it was, uh, it looked like it was going to be maybe a bit of a slow burner. And I know in the first uh, 20 laps or so, I was sort of making notes and I was like, okay, well, we've not not really had any overtakes so far and hopefully the strategies all come together. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I found myself about uh, lap, lap 30, 40 or so sort of, uh, yeah, responding to some friends on whatsapp who was sort of saying <laughs> just sending me the, the snoozing emoji and things like that and uh i quickly updated my uh, fancy nfl team as well and i got a quick second during a, nice. a slight lull but uh nice. but yeah it was it was a race that i think we thought would 
come alive it didn't in the end but i think it definitely had lots of lots of interesting sort of nuances lots of reasons why it didn't turn into the race that we maybe wanted which i know uh, our colleague alex kalanorkas will be going into good detail in in uh, this week's issue of autosports so uh yeah i think there's pl- plenty still to talk about as always and i think that had the strategies maybe played out a little bit differently it could have been a more exciting race but uh hey you can't win them all no, absolutely. And, and over the course of a season, a very, very long season, I was going to say Codders not one for the record books, but it was one for the record books as Max Verstappen wins 14 races in a season. Uh, that is uh, ahead of Schumacher and Vettel in 2004 and 13, respectively. Hamilton winning 11 in 2014 and Mansell in 1992 with nine races and so periods of dominance. So it was one for the record books. And, and actually, it doesn't feel like a season like a snooze fest season. Like there's been lots going on. It doesn't seem like Max has absolutely dominated, been winning by a minute at every race. And so when you see that record, I thought, okay, well, I know it makes sense, but it doesn't feel like it's been one of those periods of dominance. But hey, we could be heading into that, by the way, depending on how Ferrari respond. But we'll get into that. What was your thoughts, Codders, on on that start and then how it played out? The actual race start, I mean, that actually defined the race, didn't it? And... Uh, Red Bull put Max on soft compound tyres, which most people thought would be a little bit of a of an edgy, uh, far out there choice, given their potential lack of longevity. But it was all about acing those first few corners and establishing track position over the two Mercedes. And you know, fair play to him. Max got the job done. He made sure he kept his lead uh, through the first section of corners and kept Lewis at bay. And I think from there on. That was kind of it for Lewis and Max. And then as a little kind of Brucey bonus uh, for Red Bull, uh, Lewis, in his eagerness to sort of chase after Max, managed to sort of gently edge George Russell onto the sort of the, the, the not grass grass on the border of turn three which in turn gave him terrible traction. And then uh, Sergio Perez was able to move from fourth to third. And from that point on, Mercedes were pretty much snookered, I think. So yeah, those first three corners defined this race, but not in the way that the usual first corner chaos at uh, this circuit usually does. The winning margin was 15 seconds and Max put in a mammoth stint on that 46 lap stint on the mediums. That Red Bull works at pretty much most circuits, like the Ferraris didn't work this weekend. It's really quick in a straight line, which is almost their party piece this year, which it hasn't been in, you know, the kind of high rake era of the past. That Red Bull's got it all, hasn't it? Yeah, although we need to set Max's record in context here is his 14 wins in a season because I, I would argue that he's achieved that in the face of stronger opposition than the 13 win record holders you know My, Michael Schumacher had uh, I'm, I'm going to offend a lot of people here brilliant driver he had by far the best car, one of the greatest cars of all time at his disposal uh, when he set when he set his 13 wins in a season. Ditto Sebastian Vettel. I mean, I, I remember attending quite a few of the races that season, particularly the Korean Grand Prix. And the, the margin of dominance that Seb Vettel had in the sort of the exhaust blown Red Bull that year was just ridiculous. He just disappeared uh, into the distance. So... I, I would say that Max has won 14 races this year uh, against slightly stronger opposition. I mean, Ferrari has faded a little bit 
he did have a few reliability problems earlier in the season. But yeah, as you say, the RB18 has everything. And we, we hear from Pirelli that Red Bull have found something uh, that enables them to get more out of the tyres. That comes on top of uh, Honda finding a nice edge in performance, a nice performance characteristic that makes it really quick in a straight line. And of course, uh, the, the car itself is, is, is just very, very good and it hasn't really been affected by porpoising so much as, as any of the others. And what was it, Luke, about going to Mexico where the air is thinner, that gave Mercedes a real hope? Because there's there's actually almost more talking points from qualifying than there was the race today, which is bizarre. But there was real hope. That was real pace that we were seeing in qualifying. Both Mercedes drivers yesterday kicking themselves. I think Russell even used that phrase and said, look, either of us could have been on. He wanted to be on pole ahead of Max Verstappen. Would that really have mattered, though, today? They looked quick, but it, was it ever on for Mercedes today, even if they'd got off the line and maybe held Max off at the start? I think there was a bit too much in the Red Bull today, and I think that's something that both Toto mm. Wolff and Christian Horner said. And Mercedes ultimately their race fell down because they went for a medium-hard strategy instead of the soft-medium, which is how Red Bull went. And ultimately, that was the quickest way home. We saw Daniel Ricciardo, who I know we'll get on to, making up some brilliant ground late on by going medium-soft. And it kind of said to Mercedes, well, should should did you guys make a mistake with the strategy? And Toto Wolff said, well, on, um, ultimately on the on all our data, all our sums pre-race in the morning, we didn't think that soft tyre was going to last as long as it did. And again, it comes down to how good both the Red Bull car and Verstappen himself is on the tyres that made them last, meant they could pull off that strategy and Mercedes um, struggled as much as they did. So I think in terms of strategy, I think Mercedes was always going to struggle on that front. I think that Russell lost two places off the line and Hamilton was in a Red Bull sandwich between Verstappen and Perez. That didn't help either because that meant Hamilton had to sort of be mindful of losing a place to Perez and he couldn't maybe be as risky on strategy as he might have liked to be but ultimately this was Mercedes's best shot at winning this season they played to their advantages the the high altitude as you said the thinner air it means that nobody is running um, everyone's running their highest downforce packages basically to try and keep the cars as planted to the ground as possible the drag issue that Mercedes have had with the W13 car this year that's not a problem here because again the thinner air means the cars just slip through basically and uh, and also the absence of Ferrari who again we'll get on to but they weren't a factor they finished half a minute down the road from Mercedes so this was definitely Mercedes's best chance to win a race this season it's passed them by but I think that again just speaks to how good Red Bull and Verstappen are and for Mercedes they came away saying well look we're talking about oh if we'd maybe done one strategy a little bit different we could have won the race given where they were at the start of the season that is a huge way they've come so uh, yeah it definitely played to their strengths it wasn't quite enough we spoke about it last week Martin but my prediction <laughs> earlier in the season much much earlier that Mercedes would win a race this year it's on very shaky ground now going into the final say, two races Mexico is my best shot I don't think yeah. they're looking good mate you are not going to win a race against Red Bull by hoping or thinking that their tyres aren't going to last because not only is the car capable of being very kind on its tyres, Max Verstappen, I I don't understand why people still underestimate his ability to manage his tyres and keep them alive. He's capable of pulling off incredible lap times and keeping his tyres alive. So any engineer who says to their driver, oh, those tyres won't last, don't worry, he'll drop off. They're only kidding themselves. Totally, and I think that's something that is really underestimated about Max. Like, we talk about his amazing overtakes and how aggressive he can be and how sort of how well he dominates races. 
But his tyre management as well is so underrated. And that's something I put to Christian Horner after the race. I said, do you think that's kind of a, a missed part of his skill set that people don't quite realise how good he is? And he agreed. He said, yeah. He said that if you could hear like what he was doing in the car in terms of using all the different tools and stuff on the steering wheel to really manage his tyres and every lap going back and forth with his race engineer GP and giving that feedback. Yeah, you're completely right, Goddard. You're kidding yourself if you think that in a tyre management race against Max Verstappen, you're going to win. I want to talk a little bit about what it's been like with Red Bull this weekend, guys. You've both been in the paddock, you know, at various points. Some, you know, sometimes the pen with all the other journalists. Sometimes you get to do the kind of written press conferences, which are, you know, a different vibe to the to the broadcast media. Obviously, we've had all of the the Red Bull FIA fallout from their their punishment for the cost cap. Um, Luke, what's it been like around? the Red Bull drivers around Christian this weekend. You mentioned on yesterday's podcast, uh, you and was it you and Alex went for some uh, barbecue, even though you're vegetarian, but you, you know, you said it still looked good last weekend and you bumped into Max Verstappen chilling out in a barbecue joint in Austin. What's the vibe been like around Red Bull since you've got to Mexico? Have they been cooperative with you? What's happening with the TV coverage as well? Because we haven't seen much of Red Bull on the telly. Yeah, it's been, Christian Horner said it had been an emotional two weeks for Red Bull, and I think that's a very good way to, to sum it up. Let's put it back to Austin. Obviously, the sad news about Dietrich Maschitz, Red Bull founder, passing away at the age of 78 on uh, on on the Saturday. And then, obviously, on the Sunday, they had the, the high of winning the Constructors' Championship and Verstappen getting that 13th win of the season. We come into this week, we had the FIA's ruling about the budget cap and the $7 million fine and the 10% aerodynamic testing restriction for the next 12 months against Red Bull. We had Chris and Horner hold a press conference on uh, Friday to talk about that. He called it a draconian penalty and uh, outlined why Red Bull had... Um basically being found to be in breach and the various exclusions and stuff that weren't fully considered. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we come into to, to race day and there was the news overnight that Max Verstappen and Red Bull were boycotting Sky Sports F1's uh, coverage because of comments made uh, over the Austin weekend by uh, by one of Sky's reporters. And it's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a very up and down weekend. And I must say, though, that the team has remained in, in really good spirits. Christian Horner was on very good form in the, the press conference, uh, sorry, the press briefing with us came and sat down and the first question was about Sky and he said don't you want to talk about the race though like come on let's talk about that first so we talked about the race and then we got into Sky and um, yeah they ultimately they outlined Max Stappen talked about it in the press conference he said that he was unhappy with the constant disrespect that he's faced and he said you get to a point where it's just too much and you can't tolerate it anymore Um, the, the boycott has been against all of Sky's um, three main regionals which is the UK Germany and Italy they still carried some interviews with Max after the race, but that was supplied by F1 to Sky, as they do with all the broadcasters all over the world. And uh, Christian Horner, he talked about it. And he said that ultimately they felt that there's a, an impartiality that needs to be had in, in journalism and in broadcasting. And it's very, very true. And I think it's it's very important, I think. And for all the sort of talk of British bias and things like that you see put across social media and whatever, ultimately there does need to be a sort of a, an understanding of, um, yeah, of you, you've got to be impartial. The day that you're backing one driver over another, whatever, then that is, um, that, that's dangerous territory to be on as a journalist. And I think that ultimately the, the wording that 
the reporter used, he did not say at any point that Max Verstappen robbed Lewis Hamilton of the title or Red Bull robbed Hamilton of the title. But I still think that it maybe could have been worded a bit more delicately. And I think that the word robbed, ultimately, that's a very loaded word. So, yeah, I think yeah. Red Bull, they said, look, we want to make a point. We want to make a stand and say that we're not going to, going to accept that. Horner said that he thought Red Bull had become a bit of a cheap target for people. And ultimately, that they want to be judged on what they do on track. And I think that... Yeah, it's not the first time that Max has sort of made a bit of a stand like this with Netflix at the beginning of the year. He said, I'm not going to do any more interviews because you over-sensationalise stuff. And Max said, look, I'm a very down-to-earth guy. I'm a very real guy. Again, we bumped into him in a barbecue joint in Austin like <laughs> any other person. And that was like, it was quite nice just saying, oh, he's a two-time world champion, just hanging out, having a having some barbecue. I don't know if he had a beer or not or whatever, but yeah, it's still <laughs> like, it's... um. I th- and I get that. And I think that ultimately there's a fine line to be tread between the teams do want to give us access and everything. And they really have done. Like I, I did an interview down this morning at a Red Bull with um, one of their chief engineers. And it was uh, it, it was a good chat. And the, the, talking to the PR, he was like, look, sort of, yeah, we, we we understand you guys and we trust you guys and everything like that. And it's like, that's, that's nice to hear. And ultimately, I think the team for everything, they've been very, they've been very understanding with us and they've been very open. Um, yeah, I think that, it's been a, a tricky couple of weeks for them. I think the FIA ruling against them was, I think, yeah, that's going to be talked about for a long time. I think Christian Horner's mm. explanation of some of it maybe didn't quite hold up in the way that it completely could have. I think Cod is, uh, yeah, he was in that press conference as well. And I could hear him sort of making a comment or two here or there. Um, but yeah, Unrepeatable on the unrepeatable family on, podcast. On, 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 of course. <laughs> but um, yeah, because some of the reasoning, it was a bit like, nah, it doesn't really add up, to be honest. But yeah, ultimately, they've come away with another win. And Red Bull are, right now, I think, we're probably witnessing the most dominant single season by a Formula One driver, maybe in the history of the sport. It is impressive to watch. Cotters, what's been your reading of kind of Red Bull have, have almost come out fighting, haven't they? It reminds me a little bit of um, trying to think of other examples, a bit like when Mourinho was dominating at Chelsea and he kind of had this war room mentality where he closed down and everyone else was the enemy. Now, in Formula One, which is a cauldron anyway you can't escape that because everyone's on top of each other so it all is a little bit gladiatorial at times but it seems like rather than be sheepish or hold their head down red bull which does seem to be their natural kind of style anyway have kind of come out fighting a little bit and 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 defending themselves a little bit more and not quite attack is the best form of defense but they could be there could be a little bit more contrition there they've broken the rules the other team bosses have tried to land some punches that they don't seem to, and Red Bull seem to be riding it out. What's your reading of it? This is a team that characteristically is very aggressive and punchy in its approach to absolutely everything. And you know, if if if, if I may delicately tread around the eggshells of 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 the the 2021 season denouement that's so hotly contested, what did you hear on the radio? But their team manager uh, very aggressively hectoring and lobbying the benighted FIA race director, almost treating him as if you know something that he'd scraped off his boots. Really, you know, he was very much sort of, "I'm going to win this argument with you." It, it was like watching a um, barrister absolutely destroying a witness uh, for the amusement of, of the jury. So, yeah, that, that's very much their style, and, and you, you could hear in some of the arguments Christian was making about the the nuances of this this. But this minor budget cap infraction that, that that they've done that it's sick pay it's the catering budget and 
and saying it was just a matter of timing and we believed there was a lot of we believe that this should not be part of the budget cap that's an argument that didn't wash with the bean counters or the, the senior bean counters at the FIA so that was quite interesting so yeah Red Bull is a team that aggressively fights its corner does have a slightly us and them mentality which is often misplaced and and certainly I sometimes find that they do tend to treat the media as one of the enemy pull the shutters down like the post office at closing time at a nanosecond's notice if they think they're not getting uniformly positive coverage that to me, speaks of a certain lack of balance because you, you, and it's something you see in the wider world. Certainly, those of you who watch Newswatch on the BBC at ten to eight on a Saturday morning, you you hear people who say they want impartial coverage, but actually, very often when when people say they want impartiality, they want their viewpoint espoused and they don't want to hear the opposing viewpoints. That to me is is, is a bit of a Red Bull problem. They can be very prickly when criticised, and there's an inability to recognise when that criticism is justified. So that, that's me putting it very diplomatically. And if if I could just to kind of temporarily leap to the defence of the, the much-loathed, it seems, reporter from Sky who's uh, been the, the target of a lot of this criticism. It is a difficult job. You know, you cast yourself in his role. Forget, forget what the, the, the exact wording of what he said at the moment. His mandate is to wander around a rapidly emptying pit lane garage complex after a race and extemporaneously talk about things and observe things imagine trying to walk and talk and think while you've got someone in your ear while you've got a cameraman trading behind you it it must have been so easy to just kind of fill time by going off on one while he was sort of hoping for something more interesting to happen in front of him that I'm, I'm hoping I'm just sort of putting the opposing view there. Certainly, I would not agree with the, a, a lot of the things that were said in the segment that has been passed around on social media. How many people who shared the particular piece of film in question actually are paying subscribers to Sky Sports F1? It's a little bit like when you, you hear about people taking offence at a TV programme they've never actually watched. Yeah, uh, when, it, when you re- retweet something on Twitter now, that I've noticed that occasionally it'll pop up and say, do you want to read the article? Yeah, yeah. Do you, you do you actually it? want to read this thing that you that, that, that you're retweeting? So no, I just want to, I just want to share it. <laughs> yeah, Twitter is such an echo chamber, and I've I've digressed long enough. And part of that part of it as well is reflecting what their viewers, our readers, are saying. And part of it is because you know we're in a in a position a little bit not to be too insular here, but also Sport Magazine which has been around for 70 plus years, is the paper of record for the sport. You know, we're not kind of a pop-up social media channel or a sort of a pop-up digital channel that survives on clicks. We've got to add revenue in and need to be controversial and say stuff. So we're in a position where we cover the sport for our listeners. But it's interesting that, uh, yeah, that that that, um, that sort of ban on talking to the telly uh, was there this weekend. Right, Cotters, I want to ask you a little bit about, uh, before just before we finish off uh, and get onto the Ferraris, Russell, if you look at the timing sheets, yeah, he finished almost like 50 seconds down because he did that late last stop and went onto the softs and he, he you know, got the fastest lap and every point counts this this season. Um, he didn't seem to have as much in the race that I thought that he would have today. Did Russell underperform? I'm not sure that, as, as we know, the, the hard tyre was the, the right choice. So 
and he thought it wasn't the right choice. And when, when you're a racing driver and you've got it into your head that a disastrous strategic decision has been made, then you start looking for reasons to change things. You heard him quite aggressively lobbying the team to put him on soft tyres. And the, the the racing driver is not the person you necessarily need to ask in a scenario like that because they don't have, unless they're Fernando Alonso, of course, who knows everything that's happening everywhere on the circuit while he's racing. Um, you, you don't necessarily have that broader perspective. So I, I think, I, I don't think George raced badly, as it were. I, I think he was just sort of struggling with those tyres. I, I spoke to a lot of the people who uh, did that long second stint on the hard tyres and they said that basically you had a few good laps and then they dropped out of the temperature window and all of a sudden you were going half a second a second slower than you could and should have been but at that point you are locked into your choice because you can't come in and change off those tyres without losing a chunk of time and potentially coming out behind uh, other into traffic so that's why they eventually kind of caved and said, okay, right, well, we'll, we'll bring you in for soft tyres. You can go for the point for fastest lap. Right, coming up in the second half of the podcast, we will get on to the anonymous Ferrari this weekend. Thank goodness there's no title battle still going on, or, the, or this is how they conceded the title, because this would have been a terrible way to do it. We'll get on to Ferrari in the second half. The Honey Badger is back. Just before he leaves, he returns. Uh, an amazing race for Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, it was a high point of watching um, today, and some of the standout performances uh, come Coming up in the second half of the podcast, stay there. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Well, the podcast today is sponsored by Babbel. For most of us, learning a second language in school wasn't a high point in our ac- academic careers, or we were forced to. But then you grow up and you realise, oh, maybe I should have paid some more attention. Thanks to Babbel, there is an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. So whether you're travelling abroad or want to connect with your family or friends, it's bite-sized language lessons that you actually use in the real world. Now, learning a new language, uh, you can make deeper connections, you can get by, you can do business, you can make your holiday go better. You can go to some countries where they appreciate you using their own language. It makes a real difference. Now, of course, uh, we travel around the world all year to bring you Formula One. And we're in Mexico this weekend. So what's the essential Spanish that you need to get by when you're covering a Mexican Grand Prix? Dos cerveza, por favor, which means two (laughs) beers, please. I think that's probably the the route one way. Um, I really enjoyed learning Spanish at school and I've not done it since. So I think I will be uh, signing up to Babbel to try and sharpen up my... uh, my Spanish but it's been yeah it's been nice to try and sort of give it a go this weekend and uh, even with just Uber drivers or waiters or whatever in the restaurant to uh, yeah try and uh, sharpen up the old uh, 
yeah, rusty Spanish maybe a little bit. But yeah, as long as you've got a couple of cervezas coming your way, you'll be sound. I also studied uh, Spanish at GCSE. My, my younger colleagues would be amazed that I did GCSEs. But yeah, I chose Spanish because I'd just seen the film Romancing the Stone and thought Spanish was so much more exciting and fun language. Brilliant. I then went on to be terrible at it. But if I can offer another piece of advice to the weary traveller as well as Dos Cervezas, por favor, it's Donde Esta El Baño. I find the best way to learn a language is to immerse yourself in it. And sometimes, you know, you can you, you can try and read the books and stuff, but then you actually go around native speakers and then within a couple of weeks you're picking it up. And Babbel's lessons are created by language experts, not just robots, native speakers in 14 different languages, including Spanish. And maybe, Cotters, get back into French. Add that string to your bow. And it was Ola. Who are you kidding? They were O-levels, GCSEs, don't you pretend? Oh, oh, it uh, was the second year of GCSEs. <laughs> uh, you can start your language learning journey with Babbel today. And of course, we have a discount code of course there's a discount code there always is uh, you can use autosport uh, to get yourself a nice little six months free when you purchase a six month subscription so you go to babble.com b-a-b-b-e-l.com forward slash play and use the promo code autosport that is the promo code autosport uh, babble.com forward slash play language learning that works at Babbel. Thank you very much for sponsoring the podcast today. Now let's get on to uh, the Ferraris, guys. Uh, they were absent. Thank goodness that the the uh, championship was, is wrapped up because this would have been a terrible way to capitulate. Carlos Sainz anonymous in fifth, a minute behind the leader. Charles Leclerc was further into the abyss and further back. Actually, Sainz seemed to have the, uh, the measure of Leclerc this weekend, but barely either seem talking about, is it just track-specific, Luke? Where were Ferrari this weekend? Nowhere was the answer, yes. but good news, Ferrari fans. Yes, this was track-specific. It was not something that is indicative of how things are going to go, I think, in Brazil or in, in Abu Dhabi. And I mean, it's, it's due to a number of factors. We know Ferrari have definitely lost performance compared to Red Bull in recent weeks, so I think that we'd expect some kind of gap to be there. I don't think we expected them to be the third fastest team. I don't think they are the third fastest team. I think that they've still they're still ahead of Mercedes overall, I think. Um but yeah, this weekend, the main thing that hurt Ferrari was that they couldn't run the power units in maximum mode, basically. They couldn't run them, uh, they couldn't run the engines at the kind of power that they wanted to. Now, this is due to an issue that they found in the Austrian Grand Prix, if you remember, uh, back in July, which was the last race they actually won. And Carlos Sainz retired in the closing stages with, with an engine issue. And they reckon part of that is down to the altitude. Now, Austria, that's quite a, quite a fairly high up race in terms of, uh, mm. compared to the other European races. The next race in Brazil that's the second highest altitude race of the season about 700 meters above sea level here in Mexico City though we're 2200 meters above sea level which is a long old way so it really shows us how big a step it is and that meant all of the teams had to sort of run um, as maximum sort of cooling and things like that but it also meant Ferrari had real concerns about their engine actually lasting the race weekend so that's why they turned things down a little bit and um, yeah that definitely cost them some performance it doesn't explain all of the gap yeah finishing a minute off the winner, half a minute behind the Mercedes um, of George Russell. Like It's a long old way. And I think it's something they do need to dig into to understand why. But I think after the race, yeah, Charlotte Clerk, he said, look, I know this is the worst of the season. I know it's a one-off, so they're not going to panic too much. But yeah, just a very, a very miserable weekend for Ferrari because there was really nothing, there was nothing sort of, there was no positive to take from their race at all. Like it was, uh, yeah, very distant compared to Red Bull and Mercedes. They were the only cars on the lead lap. The next car 
crossing the line wasn't on the lead lap. And that was McLaren's Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, the smile was definitely back on his face. I mean, a little bit late, my friend, uh, after the race. But he, he had an absolute cracker because of his tyre choice. Um, he had one of the early overtakes when he, he passed Joe at one of the rare moments of something to watch in the first 20 laps of the race. Uh, but it was on lap 51 where he was battling for 11th and at turn six nerfed off Sonoda, who I don't think expected Ricardo to go for the gap. Was it a gap? Codders couldn't decide. Got himself a 10-second penalty. Sonoda would retire from the race. Uh, it was one of those ones where it was front tyre to rear tyre, flipped Sonoda up. They can That can cause no damage sometimes, but it did. Uh, Sonoda retired later from the race. Ricardo on his soft tyre, was able to drive so well, do so many overtakes, double pass on Alonso at one point battling with Ocon, uh, that it sort of negated uh, the penalty anyway. After the race, did you catch up with Ricardo in the pen? Did you see him? He, he looked happy. He looked fired up the honey badger was back and, and what did you make of his race today i was unable to catch up with him because he was spirited away by uh the the aforementioned sky sports f1 uh and uh, i ended up speaking to to valtteri bottas when he got sort of posted back in and um then he was spirited away again but yeah remarkable performance today and it was one of those things where the foundation stone of it was his slightly underwhelming qualifying performance where he he ended up outside the top 10. He didn't make it through to Q3. Lando Norris did. And Lando Norris was given the sort of the boilerplate uh, strategy that was expected, which is the the one stop with the the harder tyre to the end. And McLaren actually ended up apologising to Lando for giving that to him because Daniel managed to make his first set of tyres last long enough for them to fit the the soft tyres at the end. And, well, the the car came alive for him, didn't it? And uh, unfortunately, maybe a little bit too alive because having made, made a few spectacular overtakes, he then sort of came up behind Yuki Tsunoda, who's not the most cooperative of drivers when trying to be passed. And there was a little bit of sort of moving and diving and and Sonoda sort of stood his ground pretty well and then I think Daniel got a little bit impatient because the the gap that opened up sort of between that sort of short shoot before the the hairpin was well it was only a gap if you were our Uber driver back to our Airbnb tonight (laughs) Uh, Sonoda it looked like he spun up his rear wheels a little bit as as, as he exited the corner into the short shoot and maybe Ricardo thought all right okay I'll seize the moment and and here we are with 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 the better grip I have from my soft compound tires and he just sort of went for the went for a gap that was closing and and what was obviously going to happen happened and it was unusually clumsy for for him and the penalty was well deserved but then yeah he just sort of cut through the rest of the field remarkably quickly Um, Ocon was told he needed to get a hurry on to sort of try and make sure that the gap didn't expand beyond 10 seconds and and as it was the the gap was 12 seconds at the end so Daniel was able to hold on to seventh place so I'm sure there's a lot of Alpine fans out there saying the penalty was insufficient and that Daniel should have been given the black and orange flag lifted out of his car and put in stocks for the locals to throw rotten fruit and vegetables at him for five minutes (laughs) before rejoining. Ricardo said said on the telly afterwards it should have been uh, a five-second penalty, but he held his hands up and said, but either way, 10 seconds. I mean, look, he still got the points, didn't he? So uh, he said it was was all his fault and deserved. 
Uh, but they'd spent most of the sort of seven or eight minutes he was on Sky talking about what he's doing next. And he was saying he's going to be around Formula One next year, but can't say what he's doing. Last weekend, there was all those rumours that he was going to go be uh, Mercedes or Red Bull's third driver or in test and reserve driver. Any more news that Ricardo shared this weekend? Uh, no, I think we're just waiting to find out those next steps. I think that, yeah, it, it sounds like he will be around the paddock. It's quite clear that what he wants to do is come back in 2024 and get a race seat again. And yeah, hopefully I think sort of uh, rejuvenate himself maybe with a year away. But he's not doing a, a Fernando Alonso or a Kimi Raikkonen where he's going and just wants nothing to do with Formula One for a little while. He wants to be part of this paddock still and he will still be, I think, yeah, a regular uh, face around the paddock. And uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like he's going to be a reserve driver somewhere. There's been speculation linking him to Red Bull, to Mercedes as well, Toto Wolf was asked about it yesterday and he said that no decision's been made yet by Mercedes as to who our um, reserve and third driver will be next year. Mercedes do need someone because they've got um, Nick De Vries and Stoffel Van Dorn share that role at the moment. De Vries is going to race for Alpha Tauri. Uh, Van Dorn is leaving the Mercedes family, I believe, and um, yeah, he's off to join DS Dragon or DS Penske. Penske. DS Dragon, Penske. My Penske, Formula Dragon, E knowledge is not what around. it used to be. Yes, yes. but um, anyway, he's <laughs> going off around, to yeah. do that in Formula E, and uh, that means Mercedes need a new third and reserve driver but the same is also true for, for Red Bull as well their their main reserve this year has been uh, Yuri Vips who Red Bull Racing terminated his contract after yeah he used a racial slur on a live stream he's still been racing in Formula 2 this year the team has been working with uh, Liam Lawson as well who's another member of their Young Driver Academy um, but he I think more was expected maybe of him in F2 this year. So I think for either of those two teams, I think Ricardo would be a, a fine choice as a third and reserve driver. I think it's important for him that he does stay around somehow. And um, yeah, and I think just, just pick himself back up from obviously the, a pretty tough, brutal year with McLaren. But yeah, it's nice that even with that, that penalty, that he could come away with a really tidy haul of points today. And I think show the strategy that everyone, I think, could have benefited from and uh yeah i think to, to quote codders earlier truly did seize the moment alonso classified officially 19th he was a dnf though uh with that that engine problem and so that i think will probably you know in the record books won't show but you know he was was he on for seventh or would ricardo have got him for seventh a great race again from alonso you know, not fighting for wins, but taking that Alpine places. Ocon, his teammate, finished eighth. For someone who seems still absolutely pin sharp, pouncing on every opportunity, I do worry a little bit that next season he won't necessarily be in the machinery that is going to show him able to do that as much as he's done this year. So, again, just run luck for, you know, for uh, for Alonso. Um Maybe he should make the most of the, the next couple of races in a, in a car that he probably can fight a little well, bit further I don't up. know. I think that you look at how Aston Martin have made steps forward. And I know this this was a bad weekend for them, but Austin, yeah, they were they were right up there. Vettel got, what, eighth, had that brilliant last lap battle with Magnussen, would have been even higher up had it not been for the um, the pit stop issue. So I think, let, let's see. I think that Aston, they're, they're, they're still a growing team. Let's not forget that. I think they've developed well through this season, given how 
I mean, they were at one point, I think, the slowest team or the second slowest team. So they've come a long way. And yeah, but I think it does just show this this fighting spirit that Alonso has that, yeah, he's still ringing every last tenth out of that car. Um, more lost points for him today. And it's sort of the, we've heard so many times from him this season, oh, I've lost 50 <laughs> to 60 points. And to begin with, it was a bit like, mm, you haven't quite. But now, actually, I think if you toss it up, he probably has lost that many. And um, yeah, if you're Esteban Ocon, it does look very, very good in terms of, um, I, I've got a feature actually in the next month's issue of GP Racing Magazine as commissioned by uh, Codders. A little little plug for your magazine here, Codders. And um, uh, looking, so at Ocon's, looking at Ocon's season and how he's performed. And he um, he would actually only be, he'd be the first teammate to beat Fernando Alonso head-to-head over a period of being teammates. So these past two seasons, since Lewis Hamilton did at McLaren in 2007. So, and I know there's some factors in that. And I actually put that to Fernando and Austin. I said that, how how would you say sort of Ocon has been as a teammate? And he suggested that he's done a better job than anyone since Lewis Hamilton was your teammate. And Alonso smiled and he said, wow. yeah, he really helped me get up to speed. And then he said, but I have lost a lot of points this year. And he's like, the record point records won't show just how good my season has been. So uh, yeah, let's see if next year changes things with him a bit. Uh, in terms of the Aston Martins, doing a little, little, little out of order, uh, Vettel and Stroll came home 14th and 15th. But a great start from Stroll today. And uh, and they, they, not a race they could capitalise on. But going in the opposite direction at the start was Bottas, uh, who qualified ahead of Leclerc, but got a stinker of a start. And Bottas would bring her the Alfa Romeo home um, in 10th, which was um, somewhat of a letdown from where he qualified uh, Codders. That, he was just a, a man on a mission yesterday in qualifying so when he's got it he can still turn it on but couldn't couldn't do it in the race today yeah it's become a sort of captive epithet hasn't it that Bottas doesn't necessarily race well and he's not necessarily the bravest in in combat as uh, Marcus Pye would say uh, his his viewpoint was rather more nuanced uh, when I spoke to him in the pen afterwards um, he said that basically Alpine and McLaren were faster in race pace and that was it, probably maybe faster than them. Uh, His contention was actually his finishing position was more representative of where Alfa Romeo are and that maybe the qualifying performance was a bit of an outlier. Um, But also he was strangely evasive when asked about that kind of opening lap performance, which I think essentially was his undoing. If he'd been able to stay ahead of the Alpines, we'd be talking about a very different story here, but he, he lost positions to them. He he was behind Alonso for a bit over the first stint while Alonso was managing his tyres. And, and all that happened was that Bottas's brakes started to cook, so he had to drop back from him a bit. Mm. And then Bottas said... Towards the end of the stint, Alonso just sort of picked it up, picked up the pace and went, Woomph, and I had no answer to it. And then he went onto the hard compound tyres and he had a few good laps and then... Basically, they dropped out of the temperature window, and and kind of that was it. Uh, he said he did say, you know, with the way things panned out, mm. if I'd gone onto the softer tire, if we'd had the softer tire available, then maybe I'd have finished at one position further ahead than than where I was. 
uh, and that's when the sort of the, the attended journalists gathered around him, sort of thought, well, we'll, we'll, we'll poke at this a little bit and say, <laughs> uh, yeah, do, do you think maybe you, you were perhaps a little bit conservative at the first corner, just trying to avoid overshooting it? And he, and he said, uh, well, I don't remember it in detail and I'll have to look at the review, which is basically that, that slamming the, the shutters of the post office down on that conversation. Done. Yes, we're done, my friends. And yet, uh, and yet other times Formula One drivers have a photographic memory of, you know, a corner that they took you know, four years ago. So I'm sure he remembers a little bit um, about doing that. So a great day for McLarens getting both cars into the points, not for um, uh, for Alpha Tauri, who with Yuki's uh, retirement and Pierre Gasly coming home 11th was a pointless race today. Of course, Gasly getting a penalty uh, in the first 2021 laps uh, or so. And he must be sitting on some points. I could quickly Ten Google points. that and sound smarter than I am. Ah, now see, Luke is <laughs> doesn't have it all in your computer brain. Um, so what's the answer? So on ten points, and when He's do they, on 10 they, points. they expire? Don't, don't expire for a while, do they? They don't expire until Not May. until next May. So- He's going to have a my. very, um, yeah, very, I think, nervy start to life with uh, with Alpine next season. I mean, he's going to need to be on his best behaviour. And I think he was, he, uh, yeah, expressed a bit of frustration about the penalty point system on Saturday. So before he even picked up this extra point and, uh, yeah, sort of saying, like, should there be, should it be applied to everything? And should there be some things where it's like a bit marginal or whatever? And again, another sort of FIA steward inconsistency question, I guess. But ultimately, the long and short of it is that Gasly has racked up those points this season. I thought that, yeah, his move on Stroll was yeah it was pretty blatant what what he did wrong and I was very surprised that there wasn't a quick call over the radio saying yeah you should probably give that back and uh, yeah now he's on 10 points we've never had a driver hit the 12 point mark let's see I mean I I really hope for Pierre obviously we want him to be to be racing and hopefully that yeah he can get to the end of the season and get through that early part of next year without going over the limit but um, yeah it's it's definitely sort of crept up the number of points he's been picking up why Why wouldn't he immediately give the place back? I totally get it. In the heat of the moment, adrenaline, all racing drivers want track position. But then there are some more dispassionate people working back at base and, uh, you know, that can make that call. It wasn't as if he was then going to give up a place and then put himself in danger from a car behind. There was room. Why... Like, why don't a team in that instance say, give the place back immediately? Because it makes it all go away rather than it makes the stewards then have... A look at it. So why wouldn't they immediately go, just give the place back right now. Don't argue about it. Just do it now and then give it a lap and then repass him. It does, but it's why also... But if you struggle for a number of laps trying to pass a driver, which Gasly had been, we saw them have a, a little um, mm. close moment touch at turn one a few laps before that incident, then, um, yeah, I think you want to you get ahead. And ultimately... If if you as a team believe no, he was he he didn't do anything wrong. He he stayed within the white lines or whatever. It was his corner. Then yeah, you might go and and fight that case with the FIA. Obviously, we don't we don't know the ins and outs. We don't know if there was a call from race director Niels Vitic to AlphaTauri saying tell Pierre to give that place back. I think that at the start of the season they introduced a new um, approach to it where they said basically we're not going to do that anymore. So yeah, I, I, I doubt that would have happened there. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. And Gasly did to his credit, like pull out a decent gap to stroll very, very quickly. So it was clearly a lot quicker. But um, yeah, it's maybe not as black as white as sort of saying like, oh yeah, we definitely got that wrong because yeah, the drivers can be very passionate. But I think also the engineers and stuff sometimes will say, nope, we're, we're going to fight this or we're going to hold on to this position. Ah, fair enough. 
Uh, Tony O'Leary, one of the stewards this weekend, I see on the FIA documents. So uh, that's interesting that uh, he's uh, got plenty of experience in uh, in battle. Uh, so a five-second penalty for Gasly, 10 seconds for uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Apart from that, not too much for the stewards to get involved in. A late uh, virtual safety car, which neutralised the race, but no full safety car um, today. So nothing to really, really shake things up. And uh, the final finishing order further down uh, the list after Gasly in 12th. Alex Albon followed by Joe Vettel and Stroll. We've mentioned uh, Mick Schumacher uh, fighting uh, for his Formula One career. 16th ahead of uh, Kevin Magnussen in 17th. And then Latifi finishing up in Formula One. Uh, in 18th, and uh, and that is our Mexican Grand Prix, um, guys. It looked in you know, in all of the coverage. I mean, firstly, fantastic for for the Mexican fans. Perez back on the the podium once again. Uh, Dada Perez was just in his element. Like he couldn't have looked like more of a a proud father. He's uh, he's become an internet sensation once again um, today. So great for the home fans. But you know, is it? It looked busy, but is it true what the drivers were saying yesterday that actually maybe the paddock was too busy? Like, if you're in the Formula One paddock, you're meant to have a VIP pass. Like, stop grabbing hold of our arms. Stop pulling us back. Stop, like, manhandling the drivers. Let's not get to a situation where you got to have a security guard every time you walk from your motorhome um, to the pit lane. That's, it, it did look, like, robust, this weekend, Luke, what was your impression? It was, yeah. I've never seen a paddock as busy or as crazy. And ultimately, okay, we want our fans to be passionate. We want them to be enjoying what they're doing. And again, great sign of Formula One's growth and boom and blah, blah, blah. But also, yeah, when you're seeing drivers like going on their scooters, being chased by fans, asking for a picture and stuff like that, like there is sort of a, a safety question. And Pierre Gasly said, I believe yesterday that some fans even tried getting into the AlphaTauri garage just as a, a, yeah, and it's things like that where you're like, there needs to be, I think, rules and just, um, yeah, and explaining that, look, if you're in the paddock, ultimately, it is a place of work. It's somewhere that us as journalists, drivers, teams, obviously they are far more important than we are, they, um, they're they going about their business and they need to be given the freedom to do that. And drivers are, are very gracious and happy to, yeah, stop for a photo or whatever. But I just think there needs to be a, a barrier for it and a line and just say to fans, look, just let's ease off a bit. And there was, um, yeah, media sessions at the back of garages where we were talking to the drivers and fans were just crowding all around us. And it was just a bit like, okay, it felt a bit, I don't know, claustrophobic is probably the wrong word, but it was it was it was a bit much this weekend and yeah even sitting down at Red Bull this morning Christian Horner and Helmut Marco were two tables across and just having some breakfast and a fan came over to Horner and basically tapped him on the shoulder and said oh can I get a photo please and it's like the guy's trying to have his breakfast it's, it's things like that and Horner was very gracious and yep yeah, sure no problem took the photo but yeah I think there needs to be a little bit more understanding so I don't I don't know the ins and outs I don't know why I don't know if it was a case of more tickets being sold for like paddock access or things like that, or if it's something they promoted it, I really do not know. But I think it was a bit much for everybody this weekend and hopefully something F1 can look at for the future. I mean, it is good because we've come through this period of, you know, every driver interview was on a Zoom call post lockdown, which is understandable uh, and that's fine. But there was nobody in a Formula One paddock a, co- a couple of years ago. And, you know, that does look bad, I guess. Are all the various TV broadcasters paying tens of millions to be there every year? It does. You know, it looks great on the TV coverage. They've got their own little, almost little mini studios these days uh, that they build. And it looks, 
like the vibe really comes across to those those of us that don't travel um you know codders and and you used to be at, at many many races and then obviously come covid and stuff there's just no point because you couldn't talk to anyone so there was no, no point traveling you know you are traveling again so what's the difference been like for you to compare those two experiences yeah in in some ways it's i, I that the, there were some benefits to the, the Zoom format uh, in that certain journalists who don't know when to keep their traps shut and tend to <laughs> try and be the the alpha male of the conversation and inject inanities were just easily muted and everything was a little bit more orderly and you could actually get more work done. Um, and now we're back in that space. But actually, you know, the, the face, the, there's a lot to be said for the face-to-face format. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, the the paddocks have been pretty manic. I've been to this, this uh, edging back into it. I've, I've been to five Grand Prix this year, and my first one back was Miami, which was pretty crammed with people, but nowhere near as busy as really as as this one. And, and this one was busy. Yeah, I I, I would echo uh, Luke's sentiments that really that the, the paddock is a working space. And I don't think it should be sold in as a profit centre for whoever is selling the tickets or whatever is who's selling these VIP passes because you, you, you literally couldn't move for people. And and it was starting to get a little bit dangerous. You know, drivers couldn't move for people getting in their way and grabbing hold of them. Um, it was also, it was a little bit Beatlemania. And in the pen uh, after the race, you, you're trying to talk, talk to people and there were people literally screaming their names uh, at them to try and get them to come over. And for me, the most disturbing bit was as I was walking back from the pen to the media centre, uh, one of the um, Red Bull mechanics was wheeling a huge trolley full of um, uh, intermediate and wet tyres that obviously hadn't been used in the race uh, back to a storage facility. Um, sort of doing it single-handed, as, as, as you do. It's quite a heavy piece of a piece of real estate that you're moving around the, the paddock. And he, he nearly got flattened because coming the other way was just this crowd of screaming people who were chasing after George Russell, I think. And, and he nearly got flattened by his own trolley because they were sort of pushed into it and shoved into it because the people at the back of the throng didn't, didn't see it coming because they, they sort of, the people in front of them parted around it at the last minute and they were tripping over one another. It's a. It, I don't want to sound like um, someone. Uh, some people might call a snowflakey liberal, but it, it is a health and safety nightmare. Someone will get hurt if this sort of thing isn't curtailed. You don't want to get to the stage of security and like some of the drivers over the years have then put their headphones on or just got into the zone and sort of they just stare at the floor and like don't don't talk to me. And I think if you're half good at reading people, you don't talk to them. But I guess if you're a Formula One fan and you just want that that selfie. You're just going to grab them, or it's just—it's like yeah. Well, they're, they're all fighting too, for it, basically. It that pe- people are competing with each other for the attention of a single person, and and what happens is that one one person will edge a bit closer, and then everyone else edges a bit closer, and and it, it's it's cumulative, and then it, before you know it, they're basically swarming all all over this this mm. poor innocent driver try, trying to uh, tug at their sleeves and whatnot because they're all so desperate for yeah. that little bit of attention and uh, and what will happen and what is happening is that, that they're all starting to hide away because if you can't have your breakfast without someone coming and getting in your space and wanting a selfie or something um then you're just gonna you're gonna take that meal inside and you know i for one have never quite understood why you would march up to someone and then instantly turn your back on them and produce your phone and and, (laughs) do that it's just just weird that's just me yeah yeah okay well we'll wait and see how that goes i mean brazil 
uh, is is a different kind of paddock. It's a different kind of facility as well. Um, uh, and so we'll see how many people kind of get access. This isn't about keeping people out, by the way. It's not my my, my point. I mean, get, let's get the fans close. But in the past, you've seen the broadcasters uh, and what have you maybe set up a little base with the fans, with the people that have got there on an entry ticket and, and, and are having a great time and waving the flags. The paddock seems weird. I mean, I don't know how, whether you can literally buy your way into that with pure cash or whether you've got to get some sort of invite. I don't know the rules, but uh, let's hope things calm down a little bit. And that's our Mexican Grand Prix. Guys, thank you so much uh, for your coverage, as always. Um, and uh, and as we get towards the end of the season. Oh, final point, actually, Luke. Uh, just got a couple more minutes left on our recording. I want to ask you, actually, as I was watching the race, how does this lead into next year? Because we're told like the regulations aren't changing massively. This could be a Red Bull period of dominance, couldn't it, if they've got all their ducks in a row at this stage? Quite possibly. It's uh, It's been such a dominant season <sighs> from cool. Red Bull, and you look at... You look at what Mercedes did in the V6 hybrid era in 2014, they got those rules right in the first year and that set the tone for basically the next eight seasons. And Ferrari came close, Verstappen obviously won the title for Red Bull last year, Mercedes still won the constructors. And Toto Wolff was asked about, about that pretty that question pretty much today, saying, look, there's not much for changing the regs for next year. Like, how far behind are you? And he said, basically, we are kind of 10 months behind because we designed this car wow. that had this baked-in issue. And then we were like, oh, we've got to fix it. And it wasn't the bouncing. The bouncing basically masked the actual issue with the car. And they've taken all this time to get on top of it. But he said that they've, they've worked on it. And he said that he was actually asked after the race, if you could choose between beating Ferrari second in the championship or winning a race before the end of the season, what would you do? And he said, I'd win a race. Because he said, that would prove that we are back to being able to win races and fight at the very front in Formula One. Whereas he said, if we get second, it could be that our competitors just dropped the ball completely and we picked up the pieces. So it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. But I think that going into next year, Ferrari, they're going to have to do a lot of work to these sort of issues with its car, the tyre degradation and avoid weekends like this one because it's been pretty pretty bad for them. Mercedes, yeah, they they know what's wrong with the car. They are going to fix that for next year and hope they're onto the right track. But, I mean, you look at what Red Bull have done this year. You look also how they did so well between the 21 regs and the 22 regs when there was such a huge change. Given its evolution, not revolution, I think that, yeah, it's with Max performing like this as well, I think we could be looking at a Max and Red Bull period of dominance but let's see we've got the budget cap that will kick in i think as the years wear on obviously a very topical thing this weekend um yeah and i think there's going to be it's going to be an interesting period but you've got to give full respect for what red bull and verstappen are achieving right now uh the difference is 40 points between ferrari and mercedes coming out of mexico with two races to go it's a, an even 40 and then in the the midfield battle it's currently alpine on 153 and mclaren on 15 146 uh, mclaren closing the gap by f- just four points today so that one is still very much up in the air and if we look at the drivers championship Perez that's a bit of news actually Perez on 285 points ahead of Charles Leclerc and uh, that is the big battle is who's going to finish the championship second uh, 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 that leads us nicely on to GP Racing Magazine Codders your front cover last month was Maximum Attack which is very nice. I like that, by the way. All about Sergio Perez, who did have a great home race uh, today. I obviously didn't win it, but was on the, on, on the podium. What are we looking forward to in next month's issue of GP Racing? Next month's issue? Well, we will be covering Max's road to the World Championship. So we will be... Mm. And he's also... 
his record-breaking performance in doing so. So we'll be paying a little bit of tribute to that. We'll be, we'll be delving into the, the insides of that. Plenty of other stuff that is um, just coming together in this final week as I speak. Lovely jubbly. Uh, check out GP Racing uh, magazine for your monthly action. Autosport magazine out. Uh, hopefully landing through. Uh, on Thursday morning on your doorstep, uh, your doormat. That's what I'm looking for. It's late here. What's the time? 4.21. I'm going to go to bed soon. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the Autosport podcast. Uh, the next couple of races, slightly more sociable time uh, UK-wise, and we'll catch you on the next one. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's E-A-S-Y to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.